Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of John. We typically stand for the reading of the Gospel, so if you would like to do that in your homes, we encourage you to do so. From chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said that, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord, and Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the marks of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in, again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. Let us hear what the Holy Spirit says to us on this day. Well, if you have gathered in this sanctuary, and I know many of you who are on our live stream with us today have been perhaps in this sanctuary, you know that this is typically where I preach from. And so to be able to see your faces this morning, faith is a great blessing. Uh, I just want to say thank you to whoever the, the magical fairies are that came in and, and placed those pictures for us on the pews. As we enter into this time of proclamation, I would invite us to pray together. O oh, great God of belief and unbelief, we know that you are big enough to hold it all. And so we ask this day, O oh Lord God, that you would infuse us with your Holy Spirit as you did with your disciples so long ago. The scripture tells us that you breathed on them and inspired them through the gift of your Spirit. We pray that you would make it so for us this day as we hear uh, what your word would say to us. And all God's people everywhere says, Amen. Amen. You know, it is fascinating to me that uh, yesterday I was up here practicing my sermon and there were flies everywhere. And these are not tiny flies, friends. These are, these are very large flies. 
And now, one, while I'm preaching, right? Right on my finger. Yes, so lovely. It's actually going to be a great sermon illustration later uh, in just a moment. So, as we uh, come to the text this morning, it's interesting to note that none of the other disciples had a qualifier in front of their name. Even Judas, his descriptor came after his name. He was called Judas the Betrayer. But throughout all of history, because of the event that is told in today's text, the disciple Thomas is not known as Thomas. He's known as Doubting Thomas. His qualifier, the one who doubted, kind of reveals to us the heart of the matter this morning. Because on the one hand, Thomas's doubting makes him more accessible to us, right? More real. We can see ourselves in Thomas. So when in today's scripture, Jesus is willing to show up again a week later just because Thomas needed to see him, well, that's a beautiful assurance that Jesus would do the same for us. But on the other hand, when we see Thomas's doubting, we also see the barrier that unbelief can be for us in living a full life of faith. Without trust, friends, we're going to only live a part of what Jesus died to give us. And so as we watch Thomas, we learn what trust really looks like. I want us to take a closer look today at today's text. And if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to have them open. We're going to refer back to this passage very specifically and a number of times during the sermon. So have your Bible open to John chapter 20. We're looking at verses 19 through 29. And if you're looking on your phone, you can have those verses ready. Wow, it is just amazing to me. Today is the day that the uh, lawn service came to, to, do, to do the lawn. So how about that? All right, so we've got flies, we've got lawnmowers. It is awesome, awesome. All right, so as we look closer into the text, one of the things we see is that Thomas's struggle comes from the fact that he wasn't there the first time Jesus showed up. He missed an experience that everyone else got to have. And so, for those of you that are more familiar with Zoom now than you were a few weeks ago, I want to remind you of what it feels like when you join a Zoom meeting late. In case that's ever happened for you before, you might remember that it's very disconcerting to sort of be dropped in the middle of this online conversation and think, "Uh, what's happening? You know, I... I don't know what's going on, so I thought that might be a helpful way for us to, to enter into Thomas's shoes, right? Everyone else got to have this experience he didn't get to have. So what do you do when you show up late to the Zoom meeting? Maybe you turn off your video, right, so people can't see your face, and they can't see the questions in your eyes of, uh, what's going on? I don't understand, or... Maybe you start Googling, right? You turn off your video and you go to your search window and try to Google and find out what's going on here. You send a text to someone who's been in the meeting longer and say, what happened? What I missed, right? So as we put ourselves in Thomas's shoes, I want us to notice this truth that no matter what information is true in that moment, until it makes sense to us, we can't believe it. And if you've been in that experience of being dropped in the middle of a conversation and everybody else knows things that you don't know, you can understand why this is difficult for Thomas, right? Our unbelief shows up in any number of ways. Sometimes it shows up as silent assent, right? We're not going to say anything, but we're not buying it. 
Everybody can talk all they want, and we're just going to kind of sit there and just, mm, I, I'm not with you. I can't follow, right? Or sometimes our unbelief shows up as incessant questions. Maybe you, you know you've been in that Zoom meeting before where someone just keeps asking question after question after question after question, and finally everyone on the call realizes there will never be an answer to all of the questions that this person is raising. Or maybe it's more like Thomas. His unbelief shows up in protest. He simply is unwilling to accept the direction that the rest of the group is going. And he says, no. No, right? How does he say it? He says, until, right, until I, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. Where however the unbelief shows up, what's really happening underneath all of that, friends, is a request. We might think of it in terms of a petition if we want to incorporate prayer language, right? What's being said in that moment is, please make this make sense to me. Reveal what has been, always been true. Show me what I am missing. Direct my gaze toward what I most need to see. That, that's what's really happening in that moment. And what we're seeing here is that the antidote to doubt isn't information, it's revelation. A revelation that finally begins to make sense or lines up all of the information around you so that you begin to feel like, okay, right now I get it. Finally, it makes sense to me. What we're really praying is the title of this sermon, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. It's always been there. Help me see it. Help it make sense to me so that I can believe. So that's where Thomas is in this particular event that we read about, this resurrection appearance uh, in, in John's gospel. But now I want to invite us to pan out, if you will, to, to keep the big picture in mind. As we read about in John's gospel, but we would also read this in Matthew and Mark and Luke. The events of the crucifixion and then the resurrection are a game changer if you're a disciple. right? Who you were and your identity and who you understood yourself to be before the events of the week of Jesus' passion and who you became after that week, completely different. right? Your world has been rocked. If you read the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, what you're going to see is that Jesus did know that the crucifixion was coming and even tried to make predictions of that among his followers and nobody got it. Nobody knew, so much so that when they gathered together for the Last Supper on that Thursday night in the upper room, everyone was at a loss. Even Judas did not understand how things would play out as he took upon him the task that he, he chose, right, to betray Jesus. He, even he had no idea how things would unfold. And can you just imagine the pain that they would have experienced during and, and through the crucifixion and knowing that Jesus' body had been laid to rest in a tomb that showed up empty on Sunday morning? But what do you do with that? So if you go back and you look at today's scripture, you'll notice that it begins with these words in verse 19, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week. Okay, so this is the night of the resurrection. 
the women have come to the tomb. They have found it empty. They go back. They tell the disciples. All of that has happened. And yet, it says, And the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jews. So whatever it was that they discovered had not removed their fear. And Jesus shows up among them and offers them the, those beautiful words, Peace, my peace I give to you, my peace I offer you. Peace be with you. Note the parallels to our situation, that sometimes your reality can change on a dime. And so, according to the witness of Scripture, we have 50 days between the crucifixion and what is known as the ascension, when Jesus rises to spend eternal life in heaven with God. He has 50 days to get his followers ready for their new normal. He has 50 days to move them from followers to leaders. And so from this wide shot, what we see is that Jesus chooses to teach them in each one of these resurrection appearances what they're going to need when he is gone. He wants to teach them how to lead what he intends to leave with them after he is gone. Last week, what we saw is that Jesus drew Peter through the pain of denial. And remember in last week's resurrection appearance, Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? It's exactly the same number of times that Peter had denied knowing Jesus the night before Jesus was crucified. And so in that resurrection appearance, what, what Jesus gives to Peter is a thirst for grace. I want us to feel the power of that. Because all of the disciples that were gathered around, they knew what Peter had done. And Peter knew that they knew. And so not only did Jesus give to Peter a thirst for grace, but Jesus gave to all of those who were gathered a thirst for grace. Don't miss this, friends. A continual thirst for grace is essential for those who lead others to Jesus. Our hearts will be broken, but they must also be broken open. We can't lead others to Jesus unless we've experienced a thirst for grace in our own lives. As Jesus followers, we have to know that we need grace if we are going to convince others that they need grace as well. And so Jesus, in that resurrection appearance, gives that gift to them, something they're going to need if they're going to move from follower to leader. And today... We see this resurrection appearance where he chooses to show up a week later just for Thomas. We don't know why Thomas wasn't there the night of the resurrection when Jesus showed up in that house and spoke to all the other disciples, but he wasn't. And Jesus shows up again just for Thomas to draw Thomas through his doubt. It's interesting, actually, whenever I was doing some research on this passage that the word doubt in English is actually a mistranslation of this passage. That actually, the way that if you were reading it in the Greek, the way that uh, it, it would read is, do not have unbelief, but believe. Okay, so it's not do not doubt, it's do not have unbelief, but believe. And so this is the movement. Jesus is drawing Thomas from a place of unbelief to a place of belief. Now, if, if you imagine that with me, what you can see is that there's a gap or a chasm there in the middle, and that's called trust. And Jesus shows up for Thomas to take him from a place of unbelief to a place of belief. 
Thomas is fully human in this moment, reminding us that we can be fully human too. In his unbelief, he allows Jesus to reveal the truth to him. Thomas's response is the most profound profession of faith in all of John's gospel. It actually goes back to John chapter 1, verse 1. Perhaps you remember the word was with God and the word was God. When Thomas responds, my, my Lord and my God, he's acknowledging that he finally sees God fully revealed in Jesus. This resurrection appearance bestows upon all who experience it, namely Thomas and those disciples that are gathered with him. But the way the scripture is written is that it's, it's actually intended to bestow, even on you and me, the gift of trust, right? That which covers the gap or, or, or makes the chasm whole, right? It says um, that, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. That that gift is given even to us. So I want us to get close to this event, friends. I want us to come in real tight here. And I'm going to show you a picture of Caravaggio's portrait of this event. It's called The Incredulity of St. Thomas. And as you spend a little bit of time with this portrait, notice that the barrier of unbelief is never too high for Jesus. He walks right into it. He always comes to remove that barrier the barrier of unbelief. And can you see the love in Jesus' eyes? His invitation is not one of frustration. It's actually one of welcome. And then notice that he actually places Thomas' finger in the wounds, the wounds that he suffered for Thomas and for all of us. And notice that Thomas isn't looking at the wound. He's actually looking past it because the moment we move from unbelief to belief... It allows us to see the future in new ways. So before the pandemic, I was already sensing a spiritual hunger from those who, like Thomas, just weren't convinced. Perhaps you had felt it too. I mean, all of the polls were telling us that, you know, people were experiencing a lot of skepticism and doubt when it came to a life of faith. If I had to rank it on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being kind of the occasional itch and 10 being the constant buzz of that fly that just won't leave us alone, I would have ranked it before the pandemic probably around a 3. I would have said that the hunger's definitely there, and it's even reported out to us when we ask people about it, but it's mostly latent. It only surfaces individually, kind of in moments of personal crisis, then you begin to feel this spiritual hunger or restlessness, or longing, however you would name that. Sometimes in bouts with anxiety or depression, people will experience that deeper spiritual hunger. But now, what I notice is that that experience of spiritual hunger is collective. In fact, I would probably rank it at at least an eight. And what's interesting to me is that it, it kind of spans all ranges of faith. People who before the pandemic would have said, I'm good, right? I know Jesus. I have my salvation locked up. I'm good. Kind of a fail-safe faith, if you will. They have some experiences of spiritual hunger right now, of restlessness, of, gosh, I, I, I want to move from that place of unbelief in those places where I'm doubting, where it's hard. I want to move to belief. 
as well as those who, who would have said, I really doubted before and now I'm finding my spiritual hunger even deeper. And that's the way spiritual hunger works because it finds all of us one way or another and it happens to be finding us all together right now. So it would be tempting to be lulled by a cursory reading of this resurrection story. To be able to say, you know, that's great for Thomas. He just happened to be in the right place at the right time. He just happened to be lucky enough to find Jesus on the right day so he could get his personal tour of the wounds. It's tempting, I know, for us to sort of toss it off and go, well, you know, that's Thomas. I want to caution us against that this morning, friends. The reason that this resurrection appearance is reported in John's gospel is because it wasn't just for Thomas. It's for all of us. Thomas was moved from unbelief to belief because he was willing to name that hunger. He was willing to name his longing. He was willing to name the places where he was struggling with that chasm or that gap between unbelief and belief. He wasn't satisfied to nod his head and go with what everyone else seemed to know. He actually claimed what was keeping him up at night. And he named that honest petition, perhaps you voiced it yourself, please God, make this make sense to me, right? Open my eyes so that I may see. Reveal to me what has always been true, O God. Show me what I am missing. Direct my gaze toward what I most need to see. All of those images really remind us of how important it is to be able to notice where God is making sense for us of moving us from that place of unbelief to the place of belief. Jesus, in that moment of spiritual hunger for Thomas, lined up the information so Thomas could see it. And friends, he'll do that for us too. So today, what I'm asking you, the challenge that I'm giving you, and I give it to myself, uh, because on Easter, I, I confess to you, I was honest, that I'm a skeptic, I struggle, I doubt. This is just how I approach life. It's always been that way, right? So I'm naming my own experience here as well, and try, as, well as trying to help us name our collective experience. I'm asking all of us to follow Thomas's lead. And it's going to take a lot of courage. It's going to ask us to be brave. Because first, we have to admit our hunger. We have to feel our longing. We have to name the ache that, that is within us, whatever it is that, that creates the chasm for us. We have to be willing to claim that. And, and I want to remind us that it's, it's not an either-or. It doesn't mean that we have to say, this is my only experience of God. No, but it is part of our experience of God right now when we bring our questions, when we bring our skepticism, when we bring the difficulties we're experiencing, when we notice around us the pain of the world as it exists right now, we have to feel that. Thomas was willing to do that. So if we follow Thomas's lead, we have to feel the longing. We have to name our spiritual hunger, and then we have to be ready to touch the wounds. If you notice, Thomas got close in to Jesus. He touched the very wounds that Jesus had suffered for him. 
And so a part of what we have to do in our courageousness, in our bravery, is to be willing to touch the places where it hurts. Because that's where belief is found. Amen.